Podcast. I'm Brian Craig. I'm the executive director for Influencers Global Ministries, and uh, I'm uh, pleased to say that we took the show on the road, and uh, I'm out here in sunny California where we've got some influencers, and uh, I want to spend a lot more time out here, I've realized, because the weather's just beautiful, and uh, it's like 20 degrees back home. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm out here meeting with our uh, guys out here in Southern Cal. I'm actually in Irvine, and uh, I'm with Pete McKenzie. A lot of you guys know Pete out there. I've seen him at our leadership gatherings or maybe you've seen some videos about him but he's a he's a great man of God and a longtime friend of Rocky Fleming and you're gonna get to know a little bit more about Pete if you didn't know about Pete and uh, and we're also gonna talk to Pete uh, about uh, uh, what happened to him last year as one of the biggest trials of his life of uh, losing his precious wife Susan and we're gonna kind of dive into that story a little bit because because Pete uh, has a lot of wisdom and and things that he learned in that experience so anyway welcome Pete well, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me to do this. Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, we're sitting here in uh, Pete's lovely home in Irvine, and uh, just so glad we have the technology to, to be able to do this. So, so Pete, uh, would you just kind of tell everybody a little bit of a, a little history on who you are and uh, and how your path crossed this guy's uh, Rocky Fleming's path? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well. It's a it's a good story and I love telling it um, and I think Rocky does too. Rocky and I have been friends for over 50 years. It's probably closer to 55 years that uh, we've been uh, what we call best friends forever. I guess it's called that today. Um, and I feel like we were assigned to each other. But let me back up and just start about my um, my little story that led led up to meeting Rocky and then we'll go from there. But um, I was born, and I tell people I was born in L.A., which is lower Alabama, <laughs> in, uh, in Mobile, southern boy. Uh, for 31 years, I lived in Alabama and uh, lived in a small towns and then moved up to Birmingham. And uh, the, the way I found myself image was in sports. I was a skinny little kid, and but I could play basketball and baseball and had some talent there. And so I played that all the way through high school. And... Um, met uh, Susan. Uh, she was a cheerleader at Inslee High School and I was uh, playing on the basketball and baseball team and um, we pretty much fell in love uh, my senior year. Um, I don't know if she did but I sure was smitten uh, with her. Um, and so I, after I graduated from uh, high school I uh, was, went on a scholarship for a baseball scholarship to Auburn University there in Alabama and um, had four great years at Auburn. Um, I'd have to back up and say I was, as uh, the, the spiritual aspect of my life as I was raised in church. And um, I, there was never a time when I wasn't in church from infancy on. And so uh, I, about when I was eight years old, I walked the aisle and uh, received Christ and became a Christian, joined the church, bona fide church member and the whole deal. Um, and I struggled after that, though, because I really didn't know what I was doing at eight years old. And I'm not saying that all eight years old, eight year olds don't know what they're doing, but I, was, I didn't. I just knew this is something that most of the kids in our church did, and it was time for me to do it. And um, 
But that followed me, and I had a problem with that because I, I was thinking I was a Christian, and I wasn't. I was trying to live a Christian life. I had no power. And that was a pretty miserable guilt and shame existence from a church standpoint of view. From a baseball, basketball, Susan, Auburn University, Sigma Nu fraternity, living in the athletic dorm. Our senior year, we were the number two team in the nation, went to the College World Series that year. Found I was drafted. 1967 was a big year for me. I, uh, I played in the College World Series. Um, I um, signed with the Detroit Tigers, played pro ball. Um, I married Susan, and I came to know Jesus Christ. Hmm. Wow. That's a big year. That is a big year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, um, in the summer during college, after my sophomore year, they were putting a team together in Birmingham to go to Johnstown, Pennsylvania and play in what they called a 19-year-old uh, national tournament. And they took some ball players from several SEC teams um, to make up that team. And um, so they asked me to play on that, and they asked Rocky to play on that team. And so that's where we met. We met uh, the summer of 65. You know, after both our sophomore years, Rocky was playing baseball and football at Ole Miss, and, and I was playing baseball at Auburn. It's kind of like <clears throat> in our relationship, we were assigned to each other. Um, and I don't know if that makes sense, but I think there are certain people in our lives that we're best friends with that God just gives us. And uh, I find that most guys don't have a best friend. Um, they don't even have a, a group of friends that they're walking through life with. But Rocky and I have walked through life from the time we were 19, 20 years old until mm -hmm. today, you know, we're both 72 years old. And um, we, uh, our wives are best friends. Sally and Susan were close as you could be as, as friends. And uh, our kids were like brother and sister and uh, we're, we're just family. Um, and they all grew up together. Um, so it's been a wonderful, wonderful relationship that Rocky and, and I have had over the years. Mm. And, and Pete, you ended up on a ministry path after the baseball. You, you were kind of hoping the baseball career would take off, but it reached a conclusion, and so then you headed on a ministry path. Is that right? Well, yeah. You know, I was telling you about uh, some miserable years of guilt and shame and all that. And um, so the way – when I finally came to Christ, I had just signed with Detroit after the uh, – our trip to Omaha in the World Series and I came back and signed with Detroit and they sent me to Rocky Mountain, North Carolina playing their A-League. And um, so we got rained out one night up there and so I went to a local mall and they had a bookstore and I was wandering through the bookstore and I saw a book by Bobby Richardson and Bobby Richardson at the time was a second baseman for the New York Yankees and he was a all-star and held, still does I think, a record for most RBIs in a World Series. Um, but anyway, the thing I knew about Bobby is he was a Christian, and I never could figure out how do you be a Christian and a ball player at the same time. Hmm. So uh, I bought his book, and I started reading it, and uh, he signed with the Yankees out of high school. He was in the minor leagues and met a guy he called a real unashamed Christian. Um, and he became friends with this guy, and then he made this statement that changed my life. He said, for the first time in my life, I began to realize that I could be a professional baseball player and an uncompromising Christian at the same time. And boy, that just was a desire of my heart. I just couldn't figure out how to put those two together. And so I prayed a sinner's prayer. I didn't know it was a sinner's prayer, but that's what we call it these days, I guess. 
Um, here's my sinner's prayer. God, I'm a total failure as a Christian. I can't be a Christian. I tried to keep the rules. I can't keep the rules. I'm tired of feeling guilty and ashamed and all the time. And I know I'm not the man you created me to be, but I want to be. Would you make me that man? Mm. And that was my sinner's prayer. And that night I had a, you know, we everybody has a different version of their testimony and what happened and how it happened. And, you know, the fact, the most important fact is it did happen. But here's how it happened to me. I had a 180 degree turnaround. I mean, the, the Lord came into my life. I'd been I'd been really guilty about a lot of profanity and stuff and not being able to control it, on the, especially on the ball field. And God just put his stamp of ownership on me and took the profanity right out of my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And I tell people it sneaks back in there on the golf course every now and, <laughs> <laughs> every now and then. But um, but he just he just put that stamp of ownership on me and 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 just that my life was changed and I was a different guy. Um, and Susan realized I was a different guy when she came to see me later that summer up in North Carolina. And uh, that's another story that I don't know if we have time for that whole story. Um, but um, that started me in a walk with God that um, I knew from a young boy that God's hand was on my life. And I don't understand all I know about that. But I know that I've just sensed God's hand on my life. And um, so after I came to know Christ, I knew baseball wasn't something I just wanted to play because I loved the game, and I did, or because I might make a little money, and I didn't um, make a whole lot of money in five years. I had a wonderful time uh, in playing and uh, was able to play five years uh, for three different organizations. I played mostly for the Detroit Tigers, but I played uh, some with the Minnesota Twins and the Oakland A's for a year. Um, but um, that uh, during the off season, one uh, off season, the one before I retired uh, from playing ball, and the reason I retired is I got a job in the off season at a Christian school. Ended up uh, loving the school. There's a wonderful church that sponsored the school, Broward Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, um, and I fell in love with the kids. And so the next year, they asked if I would come back and be more of a principal in the school, mm. and. Um, so um, I retired from ball, didn't have a very good year that last year. It was a good time to retire and uh, became the principal of that school. Eventually, uh, that's when I really got grounded. Then the faith as a young Christian um, didn't hurt that I had a background growing up in church and singing the hymns and, you know, all the lessons and everything you get as a kid. But that's where I really found um, a grounding in the Word and sitting under some wonderful teaching and being in a great atmosphere in that church and and then uh, learned a lot about myself and my gifts and everything during those years uh, teaching in that school and and uh, working with the kids and the families there. Um, so after the state director for the Navigator Ministry, which is located in Colorado Springs and started in uh, uh, during the 40s, during World War II in Long Beach, it's Dawson Trotman was ministering to Navy guys there and discipling them. Uh, the state director for the Navigators was in our church and his kids were in our school and we became friends. And, and in 1976, they were moving him to California to... Um, take over the region in Southern Cal and Arizona and this Southwest region. And um, he invited Susan and me and another couple uh, to move out to California with them and go on staff with the Navigators. 
which was basically a disciple-making ministry. And uh, so we did that in Rocky and, and uh, became my biggest supporter mm. uh, in that regard. Rocky was in the insurance business at that time in Mississippi. And we used to go, Susan and I would go over there and spend weekends with them two or three times a year. And um, we just kept that relationship going. Um, then we moved to California in 1976, and that 41 years ago or something like that. Um, and that's it's been an amazing journey the last 40 years um, being out here. And so we were on staff with the Navigators. We attended EV Free in Fullerton, which is Chuck Swindoll was the pastor at that church. And so we sat, sat under his teaching for 10 years and um, ended up uh, starting in 1980 a, a ministry called Church Resource Ministries, because um, several of us had a heart to want to help churches. Uh, they were full of laborers, and we thought we could help them raise up those laborers and deploy them and within, the, within the culture of the church. And so uh, we started Church Resource Ministries to give us uh, the freedom to be able to do that. Um, and so that organization is still going today. Sam Metcalf is the president. Sam and Patty are the couple we put our furniture on a U-Haul truck and moved out to California with in 76. Um, and it's doing gangbusters today. I mean, it, they got missionaries in 20, 30 countries and uh, between five and 600 missionaries out there, and they're just doing an amazing job. I was with that organization for about... Um, um, 12, 14 years, something like that, and um, and just working with churches. And uh, we spent three years over in Germany working behind the Iron Curtain in Eastern Europe, work, uh, working with pastors and laymen over there and, and training them in discipleship tools. Um, and that was quite an experience. And uh, we still have missionaries over there today that were on that team when we went over initially. Um, but... Um, we came back uh, from Germany and stayed about three more years with uh, CRM, and then I was invited. I discovered that my ultimate contribution, and through a friend of mine who was uh, at Fuller School of World Missions, um, he he ta he taught on leadership, and so one of the things that he did with his doctoral students is they studied the hundred top leaders in America that had already lived and died, and they studied what what was their ultimate contribution to the body of Christ. And uh, so they came up with 11 categories. And uh, so I was taking a sabbatical at one point, about three months. And so this um, Bobby Clinton was his name. Bobby was one of my mentors in the sabbatical. And um, so he said, why don't you go out there and go through this and figure out what your gifts are. And, and uh, so I did and, um, and found that my ultimate contribution among about four other things that I identified with on that list was being a mentor. Um, I call myself today a life coach for knuckleheads and uh, ministering to men. And uh, everybody smiles when they, they know what that means. Um, but I started thinking if my, if my contribution is going to be mentoring, where, am I gonna, where are the guys I'm going to be mentoring? And so I figured, well, they're in churches. I'd had two opportunities and invitations to work in churches. And at that point, I hadn't been too interested in doing that. I was looking at other mission organizations. But when I found out my ultimate contribution was going to be ministering to to men, basically, and then eventually couples and marriages, um, it seemed like church was the place to be. So I took a job in a in a local church here in Irvine, a uh, rather large church at the time, um, and I became the pastor to men and couples. 
And um, that was a perfect job description for me because I love marriage and I love being ma married to Susan and all the things we had learned through the years in marriage classes and courses and things that we had done. And I'd done a lot of teaching in couples classes in regard to marriage. Um, so, uh, and we were there about four years and during all this time, Rocky and I are talking about discipleship and Rocky is uh, becoming more and more successful in the insurance business. And, um, but very active in where they moved around a little bit in Mississippi, but very active in whatever church they were attending and whatever city they were living in, in Ocean Springs or Hattiesburg or Jackson or wherever they were living at the time. And, um, so we would talk about discipleship because we always got together. We'd go back there. They'd come out here, and, and we, we'd always manage to see each other during the year. And um, so when we developed a tool to disciple in churches, we'd train Rocky in it, and he'd just go and turn the church upside down. <laughs> I mean, he impacted churches like no few missionaries I've ever seen. And, uh, and then Rocky was spending time alone with God. You know, I remember he built him a house in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, and we went to visit them there. And he built a shed out back of the house, and that's where he would go every morning. And uh, no matter, and he had a little heater in there and, you know, some easy chair and a light lamp hookup thing in there. And, and Rocky would go out there and just spend time with God. And, um, and he was spending more time with the Lord as an insurance guy than I was as a missionary at the time. <laughs> and uh, that really impressed me. And um, and I think that was a lot of the roots of what Influencers is doing now in, in the church um, as far as just that contemplative life, as far as just growing to a more intimate relationship with Christ. Rocky, I could tell, you know, even in those days, I could tell Rocky was really growing in that regard. And and, uh, and just his longing to be in God's presence and, and how he spent time with God. And, and so everything we're learning now in, a, in a, the journey to intimacy with Christ and all the journaling that's going on and um, all of that was being born in, in, in his life and worked out in his life during those years. And I was just fanning his flame and he was fanning mine in that regard. Um, at the time, I, I wasn't spending no, that kind of quiet time journaling um, that we encourage now and that, that I've been doing for years now. Uh, but Rocky was just a force in that. And um, as I look back on that, it's just kind of gratifying to just see how God worked in his life to do all that and now to see what God's done with that from a little old football player from Mississippi. Um, <laughs> So that was a journey we were on together. And so we realized that um, when a guy's in a Bible study, uh, he may read the book that they're reading, fill in the blanks in the Bible study or look up the verses or whatever the study is. But when the study's over, he doesn't keep doing that. He waits till the next study starts. And as Rocky put it, he uh, initially he just said, you know, men men were not self feeders, and he asked God, how does how how do we do this? How do we get men to 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 be able to feed themselves on the word and not just always have to be spoon fed? And that's when he God started giving him the journey and teaching men how to journal, spend time in God's presence, teach them about the Holy Spirit and faith and. And just this whole faith walk as opposed to the fear walk that, that men are just trained out of the womb and then corporate life and, 
in our whole lives. We're just, you know, fearful. God had to, all the time telling us, don't be afraid, don't be anxious, don't, don't be fearful. I am with you. You know, it's just scriptures just full of that because we're, we're so fearful and tend to live fear, fear-based life rather than faith-based lives. And so, you know, we were hammering that out all these years. And, and um, then um, I pastored a church for about 10 years. I wanted to have a contemplative church. A lot of the, the men and couples we were ministering to, um, our church merged with another church. And they said, well, let's just start our own church. And I said, let's don't. <laughs> Because I wasn't that interested. I love being an associate pastor. I love being a men and couples pastor. But I didn't necessarily. I had had a lot of senior pastor friends, and I never once said, "I wish I had your job." Uh, it's it's a it's a tough job, especially in the days we're living in today. And um, but I did, and the Lord had that for me. And so we started a church, and I pastored it for ten years. And we'd started a men's Bible study um, at the church that I'd been to previous to that, and. It's, that was back in 92, and today it, that study is still going on every Friday morning. And um, it's, uh, it, it's got men from probably 50 or 60 different churches that meet together every, every Friday morning, and we have prayer at 6 o'clock and been doing that for 25 years. Um, and uh, then we have a, a, a men's group that meets with about 150 to 175 guys on any given Friday. And... Um, we just worship together in the spirit of Christ, and it's non-denominational. It's as I said, guys from many different churches, and some that are unchurched. Um, but we just meet in the spirit of Christ, and they get a they get a great worship time. And then uh, we have guys giving testimonies, and we had a lot of missionaries in there that are recruiting guys to go on trips with them. And so guys are heading out of there, going on mission trips, and uh, we've had several mission organizations start from guys in the group. Uh, as they've uh, grown in their their relationship with Christ and got a heart for certain ministries that God gave them, um, so it's been a wonderful experience in ministering to men. And then I've taught marriage classes for about well ever since 1992. I've been teaching marriage classes, and and this made me a better husband. I don't know if it's helped anybody else, <laughs> but uh, it just kept reminding me of who I was and who I was supposed to be and what kind of husband I was supposed to be. And um, I'd been given a wonderful gift in Susan, and God made sure that that I uh, took care of her. Mm. And um, I think he wants to do that with all us guys. Yeah. And there was a point, Pete, when uh, <clears throat> you heard about Rocky uh, kind of doing this test group of, a, of called The Journey, I think. And maybe, maybe he sent you a copy of The Prayer Cottage, I think was the first book he wrote, which was for that first journey group, as I understand it, to help them learn how to have an extended time of prayer. Um, but somewhere along the way, you kind of said, well, maybe something's going on with Rocky I need to learn more about. Do you remember that story? Yeah, I do. Rocky, uh, <clears throat> Rocky had written, the, he sent me, he uh, emailed me the, the manuscript from uh, the prayer cottage. And I'm thinking, you know, a prophet's not appreciated in his own hometown. <laughs> I'm thinking, what can Rocky write? Um, and I didn't even read it. And then he had. Then next thing I know, he had it published, and there's a really this fine-looking little book. And I'm going, good grief, he got this thing published. I didn't read it, and I went on a sabbatical not too long after that. And I decided I better read Rocky's book. And I read it, and I was speechless. I was amazed at this book. And um, 
And that's what God does. God chooses ragtag guys like me and Rocky and you. Mm-hmm. And um, he lets us serve him and gives us gifts. And the, the, I'm telling you, there's only one word for the books Rocky's been writing that's anointed as far as I'm concerned. Uh, just the impact it's had on me, the impact I see it have on men every time they read the uh, prayer cottage or the journey to the inner chamber. And um, and and I've, I'm amazed all the time at it. It just continues to impact men's lives. And so I had to put that book down. I was up in Nova Scotia at a friend's uh, house up there on sabbatical for a couple of weeks. And when I read it, and I just put the put it down and picked up my cell phone, and I just called Rocky and said, "Rocky, I got to ask your forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> I was doubting you could write anything, and uh, and just told him what an impact it had on me, and I knew it was going to have on a lot of guys. And man, that was an understatement, wasn't it? Oh yeah, no doubt. The impact that those books have had and still continue to have, and um, so I'm I'm impressed with my best friend. <laughs> and. Uh, you guys have told me the story, but uh, you had uh, a men's retreat, which you guys did quite often, and you invited Rocky to come and be the speaker, didn't you? Because, I did. Yeah. We had a group, the 50 and over guys in our church. We called them sages. Hmm. And um, and we were going to have a retreat, had about 50 guys go, and Rocky, I did invite Rocky to come out and speak at the retreat, and he brought three of his guys with him out there that had been through the journey. And before he spoke at the, each session, he had one of these guys get up and give a testimony. And they all were talking about intimacy with Christ. They were talking about their walk with God. And every one of them finished their talk with, and I've come to know Christ in a fresh new way, and I'll never be the same again. And the next guy got up and said the same thing, and the next guy got up and said the same thing. So my good friend, Thad Montgomery, went, was having lunch with Rocky one day, and he said, how do we get in on this? And Rocky says, I don't know. we got this thing called the journey they've all been through. and um, But we've never done any training. But we've been thinking it's time to do some training on, on that. And why don't you all come out in February? And this was in November. Why don't you all come out in February and we'll do some training? So Thad comes to me and says, we're going to Arkansas. So we had 13 guys go out to Arkansas. And uh, Paul DeBell and Rocky did the first training for the journey. We came back from there and started uh, out of 13 guys. We had two co-guides each, for each group, and we started six groups. And that's, that's where Influencers really got started. Before I ever came on staff with Influencers, we were doing the journey in, uh, with our men in our, in our men's group. And uh, that's how that whole thing got started. Mm-hmm. And then Rocky, you know, a bunch of guys said, you need to do this full time. A lot of guys out there need this, not just nor- Northwest Arkansas. And, so he called me up and said, "Hey, we're starting this new ministry. I want you to, do, you know, help me with it." And I couldn't wait. Mm. I and so turned the church over to a very gifted young man that we'd been training to take it over someday. And so he took the church, and I and I uh, went in this ministry with Rocky and started influencers here in Southern Cal. Mm. Yeah, that's about ten years now, I think, that you've been on yeah, staff. Yeah, about ten or eleven. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and then, you know, people may or may not know this, but it's because of your influence and, and, and your, you know, fanning the flame of, of journey groups and all that. It's spread up to Bakersfield, California, and Pismo Beach now, and all sorts of places all around, uh, and even up in Redding, California, and all that. So it's been fun to watch, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been very gratifying to watch. Um, it's just men catching something that they long for. They never knew how, how to get it, mm-hmm. you know. And it's a very strong grace message 
to guys. Guys know about law. We know about trying to keep the rules, like, you know, my sinner's prayer when I just said I can't keep the rules. I don't know how I missed it, but I just missed the grace part of salvation and sanctification and being growing and uh, going into the grace room and uh, receiving all the grace that, that the Lord has. And we're saved by grace through faith. But somehow in the sanctification process, even in the justification process of getting saved, we miss the grace part. Mm-hmm. And guys so desperately need grace. They're so attracted to grace. Mm-hmm. I mean, who wouldn't be? Mm-hmm. I mean, unmerited favor, well, we're unmerited. We don't deserve it. So, you know, grace, if grace is unmerited favor given toward one who doesn't deserve it by one who didn't have to give it, we're in. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has just been so powerful in reaching men and that message reaching men. Um, and, it, and it just tweaks a major tweak of their concept of God um, and God being a good God and a loving God and God understanding men, men and their problems and their struggles and why they're going through and God wanting to take their guilt and shame mm. and um, turn it into joy and victory and triumph. And um, it's just a message that, result, that, uh, that men's hearts just receive and long for. Um, and that's a message I think that uh, God's put on Rocky's heart, you know, as he's writing all these books. So you take it up to Bakersfield and these guys. And, of course, at the same time, God gave me this man of God um, ministry. They just dropped it in my lap. And um, I don't know if I need to go into all that right now, but um, it's been very powerful and kind of a spinoff to what Rocky's been doing. And, uh, you know, if you put it all together, it's a pretty neat package with the journey and helping men understand what a man of God is and what a man of God's not. Mm-hmm. And um, I was invited to speak to a, a retreat of a church that had a very interesting demographic. It was mostly millennials, 30 and unders. There was about 5,000 uh, folks in their church. Most of them at the time, that 10 years ago when I spoke at this retreat, um, the men were um, pretty much young guys, um, 30 and under and single. Um, and so they had about 180 guys come and they asked me to come and speak on what is a man. And so I figured, you know, the generation that's coming up of young men today to really have been fed so many different concepts of what manhood's all about that they're confused. And and, uh, there's a lot of things that have gone on in our culture that have confused them. And so just a survey on the street found, and I heard this on the radio one time, they just done a random survey of men on the street, and they came out with three results of the survey. And one was, was that uh, men felt emasculated. They felt like women were running everything, and they don't know what their role is anymore in the culture. So I'd been playing around with this whole concept of man of God and what it was about. And so when they asked me to speak on that, I just started preparing a message for that. And God gave me a message, and he said there are three questions. That if you can answer these questions, you're a man of God if you can answer them with an an absolutely. First question is, do you really love Jesus? And that means when Jesus asked Peter, and Peter denied him three times, and he was uh, restoring him to fellowship and and commissioning him to ministry on the beach after Jesus had resurrected. And um, he asked Peter, you know, Peter, um, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know I love me. He didn't ask Peter, Peter, have you led anybody to Christ? Have you been reading your Bible? Have you been giving? Have you been attending? Have you been doing? He didn't ask him any of that. Do you love me? 
So if a guy is going to be a man of God, he needs to just foundationally love Christ. That mean, and there's a lot of implications to what that means. Second question we ask is, do you find your identity in Jesus Christ? In other words, if I really wanted to get to know you, what would I need to know? And uh, a guy would generally say, well, you need to know I'm married. I do this. This has been my work. This is what, how many kids I got. And I love playing golf. They, they would just start. And that's typical, and it's okay. But a man of God that's really caught up in what Oswald Chambers calls rugged redemption would say with the Apostle Paul, if you you want to get to know me, you need to know that for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I find my identity in him. I cannot separate who I am from who I am in Jesus Christ. And so my whole purpose in life now is to share him and to know him and make him known. So that'll help you understand me as we go along here. The third question was, do you want to spend the rest of your life learning to become just like Jesus? That's sanctification. That's growing in Christ. That's where the journey and journaling and understanding your concept, God knows and God cares and God's willing to get involved in your life and, you know, that your whole concept of God. And I just want to, you know, Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Well, that's the passion that undergirds what we're doing. I want to know him. Yeah. And um, so that's how that whole thing got started and what God's did. And that's the first thing we introduced up in, um, before he, 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 even we introduced a journey, these guys in Bakersfield where they got a men's revival going on up there. It's an amazing thing to see yeah. and observe Les Piercy and all his guys. But um, just went up there and, and did this man of God thing, and the Lord just fell on the place. Even as he did at that retreat, at that retreat I was speaking at, I went on down on the first row, and I looked at a guy, and I said, Now, you know what a man of God is and what he's not. A man of God's not a man of God because he he's, knows enough, studies enough, gives enough, serves enough. His family and marriage is great. His kids are under control. He's a man of God. And I said, How many guys you know like that? And um, so that's a pretty short list. So he said maybe there's another definition of a man of God that it's more appropriate. And so after sharing that message and then a strong grace message along with it, I went down on the front row and I looked at a guy and said, I'm, I had a little vial of oil with me. And I said, and I never thought about doing this prior to this. The Lord just prompted this. And so I anointed five guys and I looked them in the eye and I said, man of God, don't look away. Because if you ask an average guy in church and point to him, go, man of God, he'll look away and kick the dirt and look around and see who came in because he doesn't wear that mantle very good. feels unworthy. So I said, you know what it is. So anyway, I anointed these five guys, and then I said, guys, I'm out of time. i got to go and um, got to gotta end this thing. So I closed in prayer. I'm walking off the stage, and there's five guys, six guys that are lined up in single file, and someone said, you better get your oil back out. For the next hour and a half, I anointed young men, men of God. They circled the whole room, that line did. And I asked one of them the next day, I said, um, why'd you stand in line? Guys don't do that. He goes, I want to be a man of God. Mm-hmm. So these young guys and old guys too, I've seen men just weep when you anoint them a man of God because they never thought they were. And now they found out maybe I am a man of God. Mm-hmm. It's been a wonderful ministry, and we we'll just see that thing multiply in the journey, but the journey together with that, and it's been pretty powerful. Mm. Well, thank you, Pete. I, I I think that's all the time we got for this uh, podcast, and and but we're gonna uh, 
on the next podcast, Pete, we're going to talk a little bit about the story of what happened last year, and it's a culmination of your life learnings and teachings and and then you were tested to live it out actually in the worst trial of your life so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next on our next podcast but anyway this is the influencers podcast network i'm i'm brian craig and uh, we've had pete mckenzie one of our leaders out in southern california with us today uh you can find our podcast on our website at influencers.org uh you can also send us a, a question podcast questions at influencers.org if you have a question you'd like us to address in a future podcast or if you just have a general comment or question we'd love to hear from you so anyway thank you so much i'm brian craig Executive Director for Influencers Global Ministries, encouraging you to abide in Christ and go make disciples. God bless you guys.